But false prophets, just to backtrack for a second in 2 Peter 2.1, also arose among the people, just as there also there will also be, so it sounds like Peter is predicting this in some sense, although false teachers were certainly around, but he was also saying this is going to happen in the future. There will also be false teachers among you who will secretly or stealthily introduce destructive heresies. Now, I mentioned to you that when you look up the Greek word heresies, it's spelled a little different in the lexicons. It's the word hair, like the hair on your head, with an E-S-I-S at the end. And I give you a definition for the word heresy, and the word heresy could be defined as a strong-willed opinion. It's the idea of someone having a doctrine contrary to an essential teaching of the Christian faith, like the deity of Christ, salvation by grace, the essential doctrines, and someone who distorts or denies one of those fundamental doctrines. But it's interesting to think about the fact that when false teachers are talked about and identified by Peter, he says more about their conduct than he does about their concepts. And one of the reasons that false teachers brought blasphemy, the way of the truth was maligned because of them, was because of their lifestyle. If you've ever tried to talk to a person about the truth of Christianity, and maybe they were a hard case, maybe it was difficult for you to get through to them many times, and you probably have experienced this if you've done any level of witnessing at all, people will hang their head, their hat on the idea that the church is filled with hypocrites, and they will also state cases where pastors have fallen uh, Christians that they did business with that have the little fishy on their business card did them wrong. Somebody, you know, who claimed to be something did not live in concert with that claim. And there's no quicker way for someone to hang their hat on, I'm not gonna believe that stuff, than to watch someone who makes a profession without the possession of the change of life. Now, while it is true that every Christian is in a process of sanctification, there are people who claim to be Christians who really give Christianity a bad name because they don't really back up how they do life, if you will, with what they claim. And so when Peter gets into these examples of the false teachers, he says, they bring in destructive heresies. They deny, verse 1, chapter 2, the master who bought them. Some believe that the word master there has the idea that they deny his lordship. There's many people who want Jesus as Savior, but they don't necessarily want him as Lord. Amen? But the Bible says if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, there's been a debate, if you've been around Christian circles, there's been some debates over the idea of lordship salvation. That is, you can't be saved unless Jesus is your Lord. Well, that's true, but we have to be a little bit careful because when you first get saved, you probably don't even know what making Jesus your Lord and King really means. But let me explain. The word Lord is kurios in Greek. That's the, the major word used in the New Testament. It's K-U-R-I-O-S, kurios. And the word means master. 
And when you decide to become a Christian, you have switched masters. You are no longer now your master. Jesus is your master. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If you call someone your Lord, you're calling them your master. If he be master, you be servant. Amen? So you don't give your master a list of things that you don't do, like I don't do windows, I don't do dishes, just so you know. No, if you're going to call Jesus Lord, then he wants to be Lord of all. And the first place he wants to be Lord is right here in your heart. Because if he's Lord in your heart and there's a love relationship with the Lord, then everything else is going to follow. Now, there were two major movements, early expressions of something called Gnosticism, which took full form in the second century. The New Testament is written in the first century, but there were elements of it. And the two extremes were Heavy legalism, you can't be saved unless you beat your body into submission. And even people were saying you have to keep the food laws of Moses and you gotta be circumcised if you're a Gentile. And that was one extreme and that's, that's wrong because salvation is not by works, it's by grace, through faith. The other extreme was something called, and I've mentioned it to you before, antinomianism. It literally just means no law. And there were people going around in the first century that were saying grace is so wonderful so incredible that grace became a license to sin. So these people, if you look at, uh, oh, let's see, what verse is it? They have turned the grace of God into licentiousness. I think it's actually in Jude's version of this. They use the grace of God as license to sin. They say something like this, since you can never exhaust God's grace, the more you sin, the more grace you bring into your life. Isn't that grand? No, it's not. Grace is sufficient for everything. You can not, never, uh, it keeps coming. It never runs out. But the thing is, you never use grace as an excuse for what? For sin. Because if you use grace as an excuse for sin, you're starting to take God for granted. Now, God knows that we're going to be in process, but he wants us to align our lives into what we say we are. And so these false teachers, by their sensuality, verse 2, many will follow their sensuality, their behavioral practices, because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. That's literally the word blasphemed. Their motivation is greed. They exploit people with false words. And their judgment from long ago is not idle. It is coming. Their destruction is not asleep. Sometimes when you look at false teachers who have been at it for a long time, exploiting people for their own gain, you say, God, when are you going to take care of that? When are you going to judge that? Their judgment is not idle, it is coming. Three examples were given by Peter that God is patient, but then he does judge. Angels in verse four, maybe from the book of Genesis chapter six, we talked about that last time. The flood, God did not spare angels in verse four. The ancient world in verse five. And the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were brought to ashes. So you can think of angels, the ancient world, and the ashes of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's three A's, 
Three examples given by Peter that God is patient, but his patience does what? Run out. And when it's time and God says, it's now time to shut the door of the ark, the flood is coming. It's now time that the stench of Sodom and Gomorrah's sin has come into my nostrils and I'm now gonna judge and Lot, you need to get out of town and you need to take your family with you. This is what happens. Angels who left their proper domain were judged as well. It took some time, but God judged them. The same is true of the false teachers. And so the last example was of Lot in Sodom. And Lot was vexed by the character of the people he saw around him. And in verse 9, it says, the Lord, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. If you're in a situation right now where you feel like you're you know, in a place like this, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation to keep you from falling and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, that's where we left off last time. We move into verse 10. And especially, or NIV, this is especially true of those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. Now, the, the false teacher here, remember, a lot of the focus is not on the teaching per se in this chapter, but on the lifestyle. And there have been cults that have arisen. There have been uh, Movements that have Christian names to them. And when you got behind the door, behind the veil, there was a lot of corruption going on. There was greed going on, exploitation going on, all in the name of God. And just about every movement that has had this happen has had some sort of secular station do a special on it, right? And this is the leader, and this is what happened, and this is who was exploited, and it's all done in the name of God. There's many things done in the name of God that are not of God. And one day, God is going to work all of that out. Nobody's getting away with anything that has been done or twisted in the name of God. It's a dangerous game to use God's name for your own personal gain. And the people that do that will answer to him one day. Now, these, these who indulge the flesh with its corrupt desires, you might ask, what's the flesh? The flesh is that part of us in our human uh, selves, our human nature. The, the uh, NIV calls it, I think, the fallen or the sinful nature that has this bent towards doing wrong stuff. The flesh. We have a battle between the spirit and the flesh. And we don't always do the things that we want to do because of this battle. How do you deal with the flesh as a Christian? Well, the Bible gives you a remedy. Here's what it is. You're supposed to crucify it. Crucify the flesh with its desires. Does that sound like a soft kind of, you know, maybe I'll... Uh, I'll, I'll set a few things aside in my life. No, you're supposed to crucify the flesh. That, another way to put that, folks, is kill it. Don't give it any space. Go to Romans 13 for a second. Romans 13. Now, the false teachers have no intention of crucifying the flesh because they don't belong to Jesus. But this is the battle for the Christian. This is Romans 13, verse 12. Romans 13, verse 12 
says, the night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Romans 13, 12. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to what? In regard to its lust. The way Peter puts it is its corrupt desires. Now, there are desires that you have, God-given, that are legitimate. The God-given desires need to be fulfilled in God's way and God's time. If you look at one of the things that Peter said here, he talked about sexual promiscuity. There is a drive for intimacy. Unless you have the gift of singleness, there is a drive towards intimacy. God created that. His idea. And he created it that the two, a male and female, a wife and a husband, according to Genesis 2.24, would become one flesh. And there's a beauty to it. And there's the production of offspring because of it. And a closeness and a oneness that only a husband and wife can know. And that closeness and oneness is supposed to happen in the context of marriage. What has the world done? They've taken it out of God's time and out of God's plan and soiled it. And that is, we have legitimate desires and then we have corrupt desires to indulge the flesh. We're to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Here's something you need to know. Your flesh wants you to make provisions for it. Now, if you've ever gone on a hike or something like that, you take provisions. It might be bottles of water, granola bars, cookies, pudding cups. We're gonna go on a two-mile hike. I need, uh, I need a couple of bags of groceries, right? So you bring provisions, right? And you, the idea of, of, of provisions has the idea of forethought and supply. So you think ahead. If you're one of those planners, we always love you guys. You have everything in your purse that we need, right? And, and you think of the, the stuff. And so you've got it there, right? But when it comes to the provisions that your flesh wants, the corrupt desires, you are to make no provision for your flesh. You're not to give any forethought in supplying your flesh for the next indulgence. Now, I put this in the book, if you've read the book, Suit Up, and turn back to uh, 2 Peter 2. And I, I said it this way. Maybe you came to the realization at some point in your Christian journey that you were doing just that. You were making provisions for your flesh. You were putting something that was a stumbling block in your life somewhere readily available and accessible for the next indulgence. And then you realize, I'm just playing a game. If I was really serious about getting this out of my life, I wouldn't put it in a closet or somewhere where, somewhere where it was accessible. I would get rid of it so that I couldn't indulge my flesh. Well, the false teachers dangle the carrot in front of these would-be converts. And they say something like this. Oh, if you join our group, there's no problem with you indulging in that way. You see, God loves everybody and God is a God of grace and that's true. So, but then here's where it's not true. 
So you can do whatever you want and you can join our movement and you can gratify the flesh and still be great with God. And somebody says, well, cool, where do I sign? You mean uh, I can have both? I can live in the world and still love God? I can gratify my flesh and still be good with God? Well, most people are going to say, well, I'm good with that. Where do I sign that contract? Because the Christian life, and I'm sure you've noticed, can tend to cramp one's lifestyle. (laughs) That is your old lifestyle. The Christian life demands change. We are being conformed into the image of who? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is righteous and holy. It is a process, no doubt. We start off when we're born again of the Holy Spirit, we're little babies in Christ and we want to grow. And then we get solid food and then we want to be used by the Lord. And, And it doesn't mean that we don't Sometimes take a step backward and skin our knee and fall on our face. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about movements that basically say, you can be a Christian and do whatever you want. You can have Jesus as your Savior, but he doesn't necessarily need to be your Lord. Well, even unbelievers look at that and think that's ridiculous. True? Unbelievers think that we should act like Christians. (laughs) You ever had an unbeliever call you out? hey, aren't you a Christian? Yeah. Well, then, doesn't your book say something about this? See, they know those verses, right? They'll be quick to remind you. These false teachers, they indulge the flesh, verse 10, with its corrupt desires. They despise authority. They are daring, verse 10, self-willed, They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. If you have an NIV, it says celestial beings. ESV says the glorious ones. The word is doxas, or the word for glory. New King James has it as dignitaries. We'll come back to that. If you want to know, well, Pastor Michael, what's the purpose of this teaching? Well, the purpose of this teaching is that you would be able to identify false movements and false teachers because that's what Peter's intention was. And he's saying, here's, how, here's another way you can know. They're about the flesh. You can do whatever you want and still be fine with God. And they despise authority. There are new waves now in the professing Christian church of a new apostolic movement. Modern day apostles and prophets claiming that sometimes they know more and have more wisdom and knowledge than the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter. These are, this is the new wave now where they're speaking on par with Scripture. Don't you believe it? The canon is closed. We have 66 books. Nobody's adding a 67th book. Some people in the past tried to do that. It didn't work so well. And I'm talking about people who in other religious movements said, oh, we can add this or I can add my own chapter to the Bible. You don't do that. God's word is God's word. Well, they despise authority. Probably here they have contempt for all authority. They don't want to be under authority. They're their own authority. If you come into a place where there is no authority, there's no group of elders, there's no person over this person over this person, then you may express some concern. If there's no checks and balances over money that comes into a ministry, you might want to check. 
Because if there's no accountability and there's no authority structure, you can take it probably to the bank that someone is uh, benefiting personally from that. And it's about them. They despise authority. They're daring. They're self-willed, which is the opposite of God-willed. And they don't even tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Now, there's two possible meanings of this group. It's either authority as in church authority or maybe even governmental authority, end of verse 10. Or it could be angelic majesties, which is how Jude has it. And we'll talk about that in a second. And so they're not even afraid to call out anybody, but in this case, it may be even angels. Have you ever heard a preacher begin to call out the devil in the middle of a sermon? And they begin to say, they begin to say, now devil! And that's how you gotta talk when you say it, right? Not sure if they go into restaurants and order their cheeseburger that way. But Greg Laurie one time did a pretty good rendition. You go into the restaurant and you say, waitress! Can I have a cheeseburger? That's the way you got to say it. So in the middle of a message, they'll start calling out the devil and challenging Satan. And it's another way to express, you know, the people in the, in the congregation start thinking, whoa, is he spiritual? Look at him calling out Lucifer. Well, I'll just tell you, not a smart idea. In fact, in the parallel account, which is in the book of Jude, go, go a little bit to your right. It's the book right before Revelation. Jude comments on this. It's an interesting passage because it talks about the body of Moses. But let's take a look at Jude. It's only one chapter, so we would say Jude 8. Or if you want it, Jude 1, verse 8. Yet in the same manner, these men... Also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Uh, NIV says, in the very same way, verse 8, Jude 1, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But Michael the archangel, one of my favorite guys in the Bible right there, great name, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said what? The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. They enter into the realm of the spirit world, if you will, and start calling out things, thinking that they have some level of authority and do you know the irony here, folks? 2 Peter 2, if you turn back there, is that most commentators believe they're not even Christians. You want to talk about something dangerous? You're a non-Christian without the Holy Spirit in you calling out the devil, challenging him. I would say that's a pretty bad career move. Not even Michael the archangel, which I think the majority of scholars think that he's near the top in terms of power and position as an archangel. Not even he would do that. Yet these teachers come along and that's what they do. They have no respect for authority. They think that they're the only authority. There are churches that have come along 
There are movements that say, unless you are baptized by our pastor and our baptismal, according to our formula, you're not saved. Can I say, look for the exit sign and run quickly to the nearest exit. Now, we know that we're supposed to do things a certain way according to the New Testament's instruction. But we, when a church starts saying, unless you're in our baptismal, with our water, with our pastor, uh-uh. See, we got issues there. The body of Christ is all over the world. And if you go to a lake or get baptized in a bathtub or whatever, and you're done, you, you get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it's a sincere baptism, that's legit. We have people going to Israel, and many of us are going to go into the Jordan River, and it's going to be cold. And I had a sweet sister from the church say, Pastor Michael, I think you should pack a wetsuit. And I thought, that is a wonderful idea. Because many people want to be baptized, and I'm a little wimpy when it comes to cold water. They're going to literally be baptized in the Jordan River. Is that baptism more legitimate than others? No. Because what really matters is that you've been converted in your heart and you're honoring God's word. These teachers, verse 12, 2 Peter 2, are like unreasoning animals. I don't know if you've ever tried to have a discussion with your dog about logic. My dog doesn't seem to get it. See, one of the things that you can know that's a difference, the difference between humans and animals, one of many things, and one of the reasons that the Bible says we're made in the image of God is we can reason. See, it's not that we can just think. We have reasoning capacities. We can use logic and reason. Animals don't do that. They do things by instinct. But these, these false teachers, like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, or like the beasts, they too will perish. They follow their instincts. The book of James comments on this when it talks about the traps that get set for animals and how temptation is that way. If you set a trap for a bear and there's a piece of meat hanging there, what's the bear going to do? He's overwhelmed by his instinct, so he goes for the piece of meat and the trap closes on him. Or a fish, if you use, how many of you are fishermen out there? If you use one of those nice, pretty lures, I know nothing about fishing. People have tried to convert me to fishing. Nothing works for me. Not even the pretty little lures. The fish have meetings under the water and they say, that's Pastor Michael up there. Nobody bite on that lure. Don't take the bait. But in normal circumstances, a fish will chomp on it, and behind that bait is a hook, right? Well, this is what happens. People take the bait. They're promised a package from a teacher or a movement. If you just give this much money, this will happen. If you just give this much time, this will happen. If you knock on this many doors, this will happen. And usually what happens is the benefit is not to the individual, but to the movement. And in the end, it often produces nothing or it produces something that's even worse. It's destructive and deceptive. 
Suffering wrongs, 13, as the wages of doing wrong, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Stains and blemishes could be a reference to the body, the, the body of Christ. They are blemishes on the body. But they suffer wrong as the wages of doing wrong. For the wages of sin is what? It's death. Flip back over to Jude. There's a lot of parallels between Jude and 2 Peter 2. In Jude 1, here's what it says. Jude 1, verse 12. It says, these men are those hidden reefs. Now, if you've uh, done any boating, a hidden reef is a very dangerous thing because you can be trekking along in your boat and if you hit a hidden reef, what's it gonna do? It's gonna destroy the ship. There's other passages that say that they shipwreck people in their faith. These men are, who are hidden reefs in your love feast, they would go to the early Christian potlucks. That's what the love feasts were. They would show up and they would feast without fear with the church, blend in, caring for themselves. There are clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Man, this is hard language, but here it is. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It sounds like their judgment is not going to be a light one either. And so they come into the church. They blend in. They come to our potlucks and eat all of our food. They eat the oatmeal raisin cookies for which... I have personal issues with that, <laughs> but we won't go there tonight. They have eyes, 14, 2 Peter 2, 14, full of adultery that never cease from sin. You know, it's been said that the eyes are the window of the soul. Their eyes are full of adultery. What does that mean? Jesus said, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed what? Adultery in your heart. These guys never stop. They, they have a religious business card, but they're gawking at women. They, they act inappropriately. I mean, these are ways that you measure these things. In fact, it says they never cease from sin. They have no power over sin. They entice unstable souls. They have a heart trained in greed they are accursed children. They've gone to the school of greed and they are accursed children. Now, if you're a Christian, you are a child of the Most High God, adopted into the family of God. If you're an accursed child, what are you? A child of the devil, a pawn of Satan. Now, I'm reading the New Testament to you, so I hope you know that the New Testament writers did not take false teaching lightly. They had some very strong words for people who did this to the church and to new converts. 1 John 3 is the next passage you want to go to. 1 John 3, a little bit again to your right. Now, just a little before Jude. 1 John 3, verse 7. These verses are often misunderstood, but these are talking about patterns of life. I'm reading from the NIV. 1 John 3, 7 says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. 1 John 3, 8. 
He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin or habitually in sin because God's seed, that is his Holy Spirit, remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know the children of God, who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Well, how can you say you love your brother if you're trying to rip him off for his money with a false movement? And so righteousness becomes a way to measure someone who makes a claim to be a Christian. Again, we're not talking about perfection, thank God. We're talking about direction. We're not talking about that you're never going to make a mistake, but we're going to talk about the overarching umbrella of your life is going to be a life that reflects your Lord. And the Bible just puts it that simple. These false teachers, 2 Peter 2.15, have forsaken the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he, Balaam, received, verse 16, a rebuke for his own transgressions, or transgression from, for a dumb donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Now, how many of you have read the story of Balaam? Balaam's story is in the book of Numbers, chapters 22 through, I think, about 25. And Balak, a king of that time, wanted him, this prophet Balaam, to curse the children of Israel. But every time he attempted to, because he was tempted by the money, he couldn't do it because God turned the curse into a blessing. And every time he wanted to curse them, he went into like a trance and God would bring a blessing instead. He just couldn't do it. And at first he didn't want to do it, but he was being offered compensation to do it. And so finally, he told Balak, this is the way that you can get to the children of Israel. Use the Moabite women, and they'll commit immorality with the Moabite women. And this is the way that he corrupted Israel. And as he was on his way, he was riding his donkey, and his donkey wasn't cooperating. And his donkey was moving off the road. And he began to beat his donkey, and the donkey said to him, what have I ever done to you? <laughs> Can't I just be with you? <laughs> I've been a faithful donkey, right? Now, when a donkey starts talking to you, you may want to pay attention because God may be trying to get a message to you, right? So the voice of a man came out of the donkey, and then it turned out that all of a sudden Balaam looked up and saw somebody in the road and it was the angel of the Lord and scholars believe no less than Jesus Christ who had a sword. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, hey, don't be mad at your donkey because if your donkey wouldn't have turned away at the sight of me, I surely would have killed you and let the donkey live. That's when you look down at your donkey and you say, thank you, donkey. I appreciate you. The donkey had more discernment than the prophet. And sometimes the application, I think, should be obvious. Sometimes 
People who should know better act like donkeys. And so Balaam forsook the right way. And he went astray because he loved the wages. He loved what unrighteousness paid. See, righteousness doesn't always pay the big bucks. Doing things the right way doesn't always make you profitable in the sense of material wealth. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't be a Christian and have a profitable business or company. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying in ministry, when you do things the right way, it may mean that there's not going to be huge things rolling in, materially speaking. Revelation 2.14 says, I have a few things against you because you have... There are some who are holding the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block or an impediment before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Today we have movements that don't seem to care anymore about the covenant of marriage, don't seem to care anymore about the fact that marriage is between a man and a woman. These are things that the church has always believed. These are things that the Bible teaches. But they're not necessarily popular. Please hear how I'm about to say this. With the church in the culture. And I'm talking about the professing church. And so it becomes hard. And the prophet was kind of mad. He, he had gone astray and The Lord used a dumb donkey to speak with the voice of a man to restrain his madness. There's a lot of madness going on. These are springs without water. If you have a spring without water, it's not a spring at all. If you have something that's not filled with water, it can't produce. They are mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Spring without water. The word spring there is the same one used by our Lord when he spoke to the Samaritan woman. He talked about water springing up to eternal life. And he said to the woman at the well, if you drink this water, you're gonna what? You're gonna thirst again and again. But if you drink the water that I will give you, it will quench the deepest thirst of your life. See, false movements without the true Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit will never satisfy your deepest need. Never. You need to have an encounter with God. And so these false teachers have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They're clouds without water. Imagine that you're a farmer and you really need the spring rains to come and clouds come over and they look like they're gonna produce buckets of water and you wait and nothing happens. A cloud without water. It doesn't produce water or life or anything that is critical to your life. They speak out arrogant words of vanity. They entice 18 by fleshly desires, by sensuality. Those who barely escape or are just escaping from the ones who live in error. They're really good at getting new believers sucked into their movement. New believers who hear people talking about Jesus and the Christian life. And new believers lack what? Discernment. 
And so they, they prey on brand new believers who have just escaped the corruption of their own life only to be taken advantage of by a false teacher. Can you imagine anything more sad? Someone gets out of the world, finally gets delivered by the power of Jesus Christ, comes into a relationship with the Lord and gets manipulated by a professing church or pastor. Devastating. And it happens. Promising them freedom, 19, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. They promise people freedom, but they can't deliver it because they themselves are slaves and that's all they can make. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Movements that promise freedom. What is freedom? What's true freedom? Is true freedom to do whatever you want Whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. Is that really true freedom? I'll tell you, people who live that way are not free. They end up enslaved. P.T. Forsyth, who's quoted by Warren Wiersbe, says, The purpose of life is not to find your freedom, but to find your master. Close quote. Kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? Because the culture says, oh, you just need to be free. But if you go that way, are you truly free? Or do you become a slave of sin? So these religious leaders, write down uh, Jude 119. They they cause divisions. They're worldly-minded. They're devoid of the Spirit. For if after, verse 20, they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, they, they have knowledge. And they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. It would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Now remember, uh, Balaam took the opposite way. He he, uh, went the wrong way. Then having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. Ignorance would be better in their case. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog, and this may uh, keep some of you from eating dinner later. A dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow or a pig after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Keyword returns. Example A, your dog. Now this is a mystery about dogs. There's There's several mysteries. One is that They say a dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's mouth, yet your dog will drink from the toilet. That seems to make no logical sense. Here's another mystery about dogs. They can vomit, go back to their vomit, and consume it. With owners, usually in the background, saying something like this. No! Don't do that. Why would you do that? But since their reasoning skills are not very high, they continue to chomp away at their own vomit. Now, why do dogs do that? I don't know. I have not had one explain it to me yet. I haven't found a dog blog that explains that thoroughly. But here's the key to understanding this. It is simply because it is in a dog's nature to do so. 
If you wash a pig and you put a bow tie on the pig, dress him in a tuxedo, the moment he walks by some mud and it's time for his mud bath, the pig with the tuxedo and the bow tie and pearls and whatever else you put on the little piglet. And there is a piglet movement in this church. We won't talk about that for right now, but people have pigs for pets. Hey, you're free in Christ. If that's what you want to do, that's fine, right? But the pig, despite the fact that it just got a bath. Now, how many of you, we'll use the dog example. You just washed your dog, right? It's been three years. <laughs> you finally wash it. You, you buy some of that soap. You brush its hair. You let it out because it has to go out. And what does it do? It rolls around in the grass and the dirt. I went out one day and my dog was rolling around on the skeleton of a rat. <laughs> and then I realized I'm often in close proximity with this animal. Like in its face. I, I, I've already told you I'm a dog lover. <laughs> but after that demonstration by my dog, there was a bit of a distance between us <laughs> for a short, <laughs> long period of time. The dog returns to its own vomit because that's its nature. A pig goes back to the mud because that's its nature. But you, you have a new nature. You are now a partaker of the divine nature by which you've escaped the corruption of the world. So you, Christian, don't go back to the vomit that's the illustration. Don't go back to the mire or the mud. And frankly, I'll tell you, the more you walk with Christ and the more you're in touch with that new nature, the more you don't want to go back. And if you go back, you kind of go, ooh, why did I ever like the taste of that? Right? Now, I'm going to take you to I know you can't take much more, so I'm going to take you to one final passage and we're done. It's Matthew 12. Matthew 12. And Shane, if you want to come up, we'll do a last song. And Matthew 12. Here's something Jesus said. And it's, it pertains to this topic. Matthew 12. Jesus had come to the nation of Israel. He was preaching truth, healing people. And he said these words. Go back to verse uh, 41. Matthew 12, 41 says, The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, Matthew 12, 42, shall rise up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater or someone greater than Solomon is here. Verse 43. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, Jesus is using the example of someone who's been exercised of a demon. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. 
And when it comes, it finds it, what? Unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Now, you would imagine that if a person was delivered from something as radical as demonic possession, what's the first thing that you'd want to say to that person? Do you want to meet Jesus Christ? Because if you meet him, the Holy Spirit will come and live in you. Now, if you were here with us on the night, the first night we did Dark Dangers of the Occult, I went out to a home where they said some strange things were happening. And I had an opportunity to pray over a young man. And I don't, know, I don't say this lightly, and this is the first case I've ever run into in over 20 years of uh, Christian ministry of this nature. There was a possession going on. And we prayed over this young man, and he was delivered from that. And there was another young man sitting at that table who had only been to church twice in his life. He didn't know the Lord. And when that other young man was delivered and he had cried out to the Lord for salvation, the non-Christian young man was sitting at the table and a girl that was there, if you were there that night when she shared this, said, Pastor Michael, I'm concerned about him because I've heard when these things go out, they start looking for another place to go in. And I looked at the young man and said, do you need any more reason to become a Christian? And he said, no, tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to do. It was the easiest leading someone to Christ that I've ever experienced in my whole history as a Christian. I didn't have to say anything other than pray this prayer right now. <laughs> okay, okay, hurry. Lord Jesus, come into my life right <laughs> Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will be with this evil generation. Jesus said, I came to you as God in human flesh. My wisdom outdid Solomon. My presence is greater than anything you've ever seen. If you only knew what you were experiencing, Jesus would say to the people of Israel right now, if you only knew the privilege you had, if you only knew how many people long to see this day, and you've seen it. And if you reject my word, you would have been better off had I not shown up in Galilee and Jerusalem. Because there will be cities on the judgment day that will stand up and say, we listened and all we had was Solomon. We listened and all we had was this. We had the preaching of Jonah. You had the Lord here. And if you don't listen, your state, will, your last state will become worse than the first. Wow. That's what Peter is saying to the false teachers. You're around the things of God. You have a Bible in front of you. But if you don't, if you're not regenerated by the Holy Spirit, it would have been better for you had you never known the way of righteousness and made a claim to righteousness. It would have been better if you were just ignorant because now you've made a claim and now you've led other people astray with that claim. And now you're what? More accountable for what you know and what you did. Now, this room, everybody take a deep breath, is filled with genuine Christians, right? 
That's what I believe you guys are. And so this does not apply to you. Praise God. Unless you're a pretender. Unless you're not sure you're born again, then I would just say the way you could resolve this if this makes you nervous is get saved. Amen? Have a genuine experience of being born again and then you won't have to worry about any of this except just how to know how to sniff it out. Amen? Father, thank you so much for your word. Some of the portions of your word are absolutely straight to the point, hard and challenging, but true and profitable. And Peter wouldn't have said these things inspired by the Spirit unless we needed to hear them. And we need to hear them in our modern age because we've had a lot of false teaching in our modern times. And a lot of people that you died for on the cross have been led astray. And Lord, I'm glad that on that day you're gonna work all that out. But I think it, it amplifies the, the need for clear, faithful teaching empowered by the Spirit and for discernment of your body. And I wanna thank you, Lord, that um, that's here in this fellowship. And I know there's so many faithful Christians in this city and around this country and in the world. But Lord, for those movements that have led people astray and hurt the movement and it's maligned the way of truth, I pray, Lord, that you would move in such a way that those things can be eradicated as stumbling blocks and people can find true freedom in Jesus. If you keep your head and heart bowed, if you've not met the true Christ and you want to know him, maybe you were duped by a false movement, maybe you were disappointed by a false teacher, or maybe a genuine Christian just failed you. You can, you can just deal with the Lord. Don't worry about that stuff. Just go to the Lord. He's your great high priest and say something like this, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I believe you died on that cross for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead. I'm going to turn away from my sin and turn to you. Be my Lord, be my Savior, be my King. Change me from the inside out. I pray in Jesus' name.